Turn to John chapter 18, verse 1. Godly fathers are a blessing. Uh, I can think of uh, conversations that I've had with my dad. As he shared with me uh, things from God's word, warned me about pitfalls. Uh, I saw him set a good example. He wasn't perfect, neither am I. (laughs) But uh, I am grateful for a good father. But I'm going to tell you something. God is the best father. And uh, there's no one like him. Uh, God so loved the world that he gave his son. Did you know, when we see God act, we learn something about what it is that he feels toward us. And as you see Jesus acting in this scripture here today, you're going to learn about his heart for you. Uh, One of the great things about Calvary is that nobody forced Jesus to go to Calvary. He went willingly. Another great thing about Calvary is that Jesus went and he was perfectly innocent. He was the perfect substitute for our sin. Another thing about Calvary is that Jesus had a purpose in Calvary of revealing his truth to us. And so Uh, Through his actions, through his words, through his responses, through everything that he did, God revealed Jesus' heart and his own heart toward us. And so we need to put our trust in the goodness, the purity, and the holiness of our great Savior's heart and follow him. The title of my message is Understanding Jesus' Heart. Look at verse 1 of chapter 18. After Jesus had said these things, he went out with his disciples across the Kidron Valley where there was a garden. And he and his disciples went into it. Judas, who betrayed him, also knew the place because Jesus had often met there with his disciples. So Judas took a company of soldiers and some temple police from the chief priests and Pharisees and came there with lanterns, torches, and weapons. Then Jesus, knowing everything that was about to happen to him, went out and said to them, Who is it you're looking for? Jesus the Nazarene, they answered. I am he, Jesus told them. Judas, who betrayed him, was also standing with them. When he told them, I am he, they stepped back and fell to the ground. Literally, I am he is I am in the original, the name of God. I told you that I am he, Jesus replied. So if you're looking for me, let these men go. This was to fulfill the words he had said, I have not lost one of those you have given me. Then Simon Peter, who had a sword, drew it, struck the high priest's slave and cut off his right ear. The slave's name was Malchus. At that, Jesus said to Peter, sheath your sword. Am Am I not to drink the cup the Father has given me? Then the company of soldiers, the commander, and the Jewish temple police arrested Jesus and tied him up. First they led him to Annas, for he was the father-in-law of Caiaphas, who was high priest that year. Caiaphas was the one who had advised the Jews that it would be advantageous that one man should die for the people. Meanwhile, Simon Peter was following Jesus, as was another disciple. That disciple was an acquaintance of the high priest. 
So he went with Jesus into the high priest's courtyard. But Peter remained standing outside by the door. So the other disciple, the one known to the high priest, went out and spoke to the girl who was at the door and brought Peter in. Then the slave girl who was the doorkeeper said to Peter, You aren't one of this man's disciples, are you? I am not, he said. Now the slaves and the temple policemen had made a charcoal fire because it was cold. They were standing there warming themselves, and Peter was standing with them warming himself. The high priest questioned Jesus about his disciples and about his teaching. I have spoken openly to the world, Jesus answered. I have always taught in the synagogues and in the temple complex where all the Jews congregate, and I haven't spoken anything in secret. Why do you question me? Question those who heard what I told them. Look, they know what I said. When he had said these things, one of the temple police standing by slapped Jesus, saying, Is this the way you answer the high priest? If I have spoken wrongly, Jesus answered, Give evidence about the wrong. But if rightly, why do you hit me? Then Anna sent him bound to Caiaphas, the high priest. Now Simon Peter was standing and warming himself. They said to him, You aren't one of his disciples too, are you? He denied it and said, I am not. One of the high priest's slaves, the relative of the man who Peter's ear Uh, Peter had cut off his ear, said, Didn't I see you with him in the garden? Peter then denied it again. Immediately, a rooster crowed. Then they took Jesus from Caiaphas to the governor's headquarters. It was early morning. They did not enter the headquarters themselves, otherwise they would be defiled and unable to eat the Passover. Then Pilate came out to them and said, What charge do you bring against this man? They answered him, If this man weren't a criminal, we wouldn't have handed him over to you. So Pilate told them, take him yourselves and judge him according to your law. Is it not legal? It is not legal for us to put anyone to death, the Jews declared. They said this so that Jesus' words might be fulfilled, signifying what kind of death he was going to die. Then Pilate went back into the headquarters, summoned Jesus, and said to him, Are you the king of the Jews? Jesus answered, Are you asking this on your own, or have others told you about me? I'm not a Jew, am I? Pilate replied, your own nation and the chief priests handed you over to me. What have you done? My kingdom is not of this world, said Jesus. If my kingdom were of this world, my servants would fight so that I wouldn't be handed over to the Jews. As it is, my kingdom does not have its origin here. You are a king then, Pilate asked. You say that I'm a king, Jesus replied. I was born for this and I have come into the world for this to testify to the truth. Everyone who is of the truth listens to my voice. What is truth, said Pilate. After he had said this, he went out to the Jews again and told them, I find no grounds for charging him. You have a custom that I release one prisoner to you at the Passover. So do you want me to release to you the king of the Jews? They shouted back, no, not this man, but Barabbas. Now Barabbas was a revolutionary. Understanding Jesus' heart. What do we need to understand about Jesus' heart? He wants us to understand, first of all, Jesus' willingness. Jesus' willingness. One of the ironic things about this chapter is the discussion of the power of Jesus. Jesus is not shown as somebody helpless to defend himself. On the contrary, Jesus is able perfectly to take care of himself. When they come to arrest him, John includes this detail to show us the power of Jesus. 
Jesus says, who are you seeking for? Who, who are you looking for? And they said, we're looking for Jesus the Nazarene. And Jesus says, I am. Now, when Jesus says, I am, they all fall backwards. Now, we're not given details as to exactly what happened, but I think the power of God pushed these men back. And they got up again. Jesus said, who are you seeking? I told you I am. This time they don't fall down. Why include this detail? Because John is wanting to show us that Jesus went to the cross willingly. Nobody twisted his arm. Another gospel tells us that uh, Jesus could have called 10,000 angels to his aid at that moment. And they would have destroyed his enemies. But Jesus didn't do it. Why? He went to the cross willingly. Now, when they take him to Pilate, ultimately, Pilate is going to give the death sentence to Jesus. He doesn't want to do it, but he's pressured to do it. And they call his loyalty to Caesar into question. So, uh, Pilate is going to deliver him, but Jesus predicted how he was going to, to die. He says, I'm going to be lifted up. And it was a way of speaking of crucifixion. Uh, Jesus had predicted the Son of Man will die. He'll be crucified and he'll rise the third day. Jesus predicted the specific death that he was going to die. This is found in verse 32. Jesus was willing. Could Jesus have avoided Hey, if it had been me, if I'd have known crucifixion was coming, I probably would have got a plane ticket if they'd had planes back then and gotten as far away from Israel as I could get. But you find Jesus here celebrating the Passover and then on this day praying in the garden just right near Jerusalem in the very place he knew he was going to be put to death. So Jesus knew what was going to take place. Why didn't he flee? Because he was willing to die. He was willing. Over and over again, he predicted what was going to take place. Um, Peter pulls out a sword. I don't know if he had concealed carry back then, but he he had a weapon on him. Uh, He pulled a sword, and he cut off the ear of the high priest's servant. Peter's ready to defend Jesus to the death. What does Jesus do? He says, put your sword back. Another gospel tells us he he heals him. Why? Why? Jesus could have let his followers fight for him to protect him from his death. Why didn't he do it? Because he was willing to go to the cross. You see, over and over again through this chapter, you see this theme. He is willing, he is willing, he is willing. That shows us something about Jesus' heart. Your love for your children is shown by what you're willing to do for them, oftentimes. Or sometimes what you're willing to do. To refrain from doing out of love for them. Jesus is willing to go to the cross. That's the heart of God toward you. God loves you. Jesus' willingness to go. Why was Jesus willing to go to a cross? Because he knew that unless he went to the cross, we'd all die and go to hell. Jesus knew that if he didn't go to the cross, the just penalty for our sin would have to be carried out by God. And he knew 
that we would be under God's wrath. So Jesus willingly went to the cross. Isn't it interesting in his discussion with Pilate? Pilate says, are you the king of the Jews? And and Jesus says, are you asking this of yourself? Or because somebody else told you about that? What is Jesus doing with that question? I believe he wants Pilate to consider what he's saying and the significance of it. See, Jesus knew, if he knew he was going to die, I'm sure he probably knew what had been said to Pilate. But he's asking this question because he wants Pilate to think about his soul. Who is this you're going to crucify? He is the king of the Jews. Pilate will hear the report of the resurrection. I believe Jesus had a heart to see Pilate come to faith in him. So Jesus was willing That's what we need to see. Whenever you're struggling with a trial in your life, remember Jesus' willingness to go to the cross for you. If you're tempted to be bitter at God, if you're tempted to question God, remember Jesus' heart for you that he was willing to go to the cross. No one takes my life from me. I lay it down willingly. No greater love has a man than this than he lays down his life for his friend. Jesus laid down his life to show us his heart. Put your trust in the love of Jesus. What does that mean for you as as a child of God? One thing, it means that Christ is for you. God is for you. Um, The scripture says that we were enemies of Christ, but that when we put our trust in Christ, we're adopted into his family And uh, Romans 5 says, if if we've now been reconciled to him through the death of his son, how much more, having been reconciled, shall we be saved through his life? What's he saying? If Jesus saved me by his death, how much more by his resurrection in his life is he going to be for me? Christ is for you. Never forget that. The devil wants you to believe that God is against you. He'll whisper your sin into your ear. He'll remind you of your failures. He'll say, how could God be for you? God's against you. Uh, You just need to run from God. That's a lie from the pit of hell. If you're a child of God, if you surrender to Christ and put your trust in him, you're his child. You're washed, cleansed by his power, adopted into his family, and God is for you. How could I know that? You see Jesus' willingness to go to the cross. Did you know our sin never shocks God? He's omniscient. He knows every sin we have committed or will commit. But while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. He was willing, despite everything he knew, despite all of our failures, despite sometimes our lack of trust in him, our anger at him, our bitterness at him, or whatever that we we have done. Christ knows it all, but he says, I love you. And I'm going to show you by my willingness to go to the cross. So if you want to understand Jesus' heart, the first thing you need to understand is his willingness. Put your trust in the love of God and the love of Christ for you. Secondly, not only do you need to understand Jesus' willingness, you need to understand Jesus' innocence. Jesus' innocence. John includes an interesting detail for us. Annas 
who was the father-in-law of Caiaphas, who was the high priest, had been high priest before. And it was an office that once you held that office, according to the law, you're an eternal high priest until you die. Um, And so um, everybody would call you high priest. But why take Jesus to Annas? Well, what you find is Annas is questioning him. Look at verse 19. The priest questioned Jesus about his disciples and about his teaching. What's he doing? He is fishing for something that he can use to condemn Jesus. He doesn't know of anything that he can use. Jesus, they, they, he, Jesus responds, well, ask the people I've taught. Ask the, everybody knows I didn't do this in a corner. Ask people, get witnesses to come against me if you can find something. Uh, but look, at, they strike Jesus, and Jesus says in verse 23, if I have spoken wrongly, give evidence about the wrong. But if rightly, why do you hit me? Silence. What does this silence mean? It means Annas could not find one thing wrong with Jesus. So he sends him to Caiaphas. Well, Caiaphas, it's your problem. (laughs) John doesn't include the details of the trial with Caiaphas. Some of the other Gospels do. But um, he mentions he goes from Caiaphas. And the implication is Caiaphas can't find anything either. And then he sends him to Pilate. Pilate says... uh, Verse 29, what charge do you bring against this man? Look at the response, verse 30. They answered him, if this man weren't a criminal, we wouldn't have handed him over to you. Well, don't you think we have a reason for bringing him here? Isn't it interesting how they omit the reason? Why? They don't have a reason. So Pilate questions him. Are you the king of the Jews? Are you trying to rebel against Caesar? Jesus explains that his kingdom is not of this world. Look at what Pilate says in verse 38. The last few words of verse 38 say this. I find no grounds for charging him. Annas couldn't find fault with Jesus. Caiaphas couldn't find fault with Jesus. Pilate couldn't find fault with Jesus. Why? Because Jesus was perfect and blameless. I tell you what. I believe we men need to be men of integrity. But there's no perfect men. There's only one perfect man who's ever lived, and his name is Jesus Christ. And they could find no fault. I think of Daniel. You remember Daniel in the Old Testament? He's living in Babylon, and he has some enemies in the court of the king, and they want to get him into trouble. So um, they're, they're looking for some fault that they can find with Daniel's life, and they can't find anything. So finally they come up with a plot, and they say, look, Uh, We'll get the king to make a law that nobody can pray to anybody but him because we know Daniel prays and we can get him into trouble that way. And so they do. He makes it according to the law of the Medes and the Persians, which cannot be changed, which is a historical thing. And then Daniel continues to pray just as he has before. They say, look at this man. He's he's disobeying your edict. Um, They throw him in a lion's den and God shut the mouths of the lions. Take Daniel. Daniel was a blameless man. He wasn't a perfect man, but he was a blameless man. Jesus was a perfect man. There was never a wicked thought. There was never 
a wicked attitude. There was never a wicked word. There was never a wicked deed. There was never something that he should have done that he failed to do. Jesus always did exactly what was righteous. Why is that important? Say, preacher, why are you emphasizing this? Why, why does this matter? I'll tell you why it matters. If he's not perfect, he can't be your substitute. In the Old Testament, they used to bring sacrifices for their sin. They'd bring the lamb, and if you imagine that this is the altar, they would, they would bring the lamb up, the left side of the altar here, and they would uh, lay their hands upon his head and confess their sins, and the idea was that sin was being transferred to that substitute um, and the priest would then take that animal and, and sacrifice it and kill it, and it would be a burnt offering to God, and it was a picture of the fact that that animal, in picture form, is taking the place of the worshiper. But you see, those lambs, those bulls, those goats that were sacrificed in the Old Testament were sacrificed for one reason, and that was to point to Jesus Christ. But when a priest had a lamb for sacrifice, that the lamb had to be examined. They looked for any spot, any blemish, anything wrong with that animal. And if there was any kind of fault whatsoever, they could not offer it as a sacrifice. They'd say, go get another animal. Because it had to be whole. Jesus had to be whole. He had to be perfect. He had to be pure. He had to be righteous. Why? Because he is the substitute that all the others looked forward to. The Bible says, he made him who knew no sin, Jesus, to be sin for us so that we could become the righteousness of God in him. When I surrender my life to Christ, when I put my trust in him, the Bible says a transfer takes place in heavenly places. My sin is credited to Christ and his righteousness is credited to me. So that, on the cross, as the scripture says, God made Jesus to be sin for us. My sin. When Jesus died 2,000 years ago, all of the sins of Roger Pugh were placed upon him. Jesus became my sin. Took my penalty. Bore my wrath. But he also did something for me. He credited me. With his perfect righteousness. What does that mean? That means that though I don't deserve to have a relationship with God. I do have a relationship with God. Though I don't deserve to come before him in prayer. I can come before him in prayer. Though I don't deserve for him to treat me with love and goodness. And to shower his blessing upon me and give me heaven when I die. Though I don't deserve it. He has given it to me because Christ's righteousness has been credited to me. I am washed. I am cleansed. I am clothed with the perfect righteousness of Jesus. I want to tell you something. I don't preach because I deserve to preach. I preach because God called me in his grace. I don't pray because I deserve to pray. I pray because God has made a way for me to pray through Jesus Christ. I don't have confidence in God's love for me because of my own goodness. I have confidence in God's love for me because 
Christ's goodness has been credited to me. I come before him. When the enemy attacks me and whispers in my ear, you're not worthy, what I, I do is say, God, I don't come to you on the basis of my own worthiness. I come to you on the basis of Christ's spotless righteousness. Find fault with that if you can, devil. You can't. It's perfect. Jesus was innocent. So, one day when I stand at the judgment, I'll have the decree of acquittal because Jesus took my decree of condemnation. Praise God. Praise God for his goodness. So, Jesus' innocence is so important. So, what do we need to understand to understand Jesus' heart? We need to understand his willingness, his innocence, and finally, Jesus' purpose. Jesus' purpose. Look at verse 37. Look at, back up to verse 36. My kingdom is not of this world, said Jesus. If my kingdom were of this world, my servants would fight so that I wouldn't be handed over to the Jews. As it is, my kingdom does not have its origin here. You're a king then, Pilate asked. You say that I'm a king. In other words, Jesus is admitting that that's the way they would admit something in that day. You say that I am. Uh, I was born for this, and I have come to the world for this, to testify to the truth. Everyone who is of the truth listens to my voice. Pilate says, what is truth? There's a lot of people out there today saying, what is truth? They don't even believe there can be an objective standard for, for truth. Um, some people say, well, that's true for you, but that's not true for me. Well, if something's true, it's true, regardless of whether we believe it or not. Uh, Robbie Zacharias says, if you jump out in front of a Mack truck, whether, whether you're Eastern or Western, you'll still get hit. <laughs> and so uh, what's true is true. Um, but sometimes the truth can be elusive to us. We hear all different kinds of messages from the world. How do you determine what's right and what's wrong? Jesus says, I have come to testify to the truth. Jesus, being eternal, was there when all creation was made. Jesus, being fully God, he understands everything perfectly. He knows the whens and the whys and the wherefores. And he can reveal the truth. He did that through his teaching. But he also does that through his actions. Remember I mentioned a little earlier. Fathers, let's set examples because our kids follow what we do more than what we say. Jesus set a perfect example because he went to the cross. And by his death, he tells us the truth. That there is forgiveness for our sins. By his taking the penalty that he didn't deserve, he shows us that we can be washed clean, cleansed. Moses would take the, the hyssop, which is a plant that it would like, it's kind of like a sponge, it would soak up fluid, and he would dip it in the blood and he would sprinkle it on the people. And he'd say, Now you're cleansed, you're fit to worship God. I'm cleansed by the blood of Jesus. I'm washed 
Every sin. I love this. Colossians says every sin, all of my sin was blotted out of his book. Hallelujah. When the books are open, there's just one thing that's going to be written in there. Roger Pugh's name is going to be, and whoever else has trusted Christ, is going to be written in the Lamb's book of life. None of my sins will be there. They've been blotted out. Buried as far as the east is from the west. Buried in the sea of forgetfulness. Done forever. Because Jesus took it for me. It tells me a truth. His resurrection tells me a truth. Eternal life is real. And the one who offers eternal life can deliver on it. Jesus has said, I came to give you life so that you might have life and have it more abundantly. He can give that life. How can we know that he can give that abundant life? Because he can give physical life. He rose from the dead. There's a message of truth in that. Jesus' ascension tells us the truth. Because Jesus ascended, Psalm 2 and Psalm 110 are shown to be true. Why? Because he says, you will sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet. You see, Jesus was ascending up to the Father to take his place, to be exalted and worshipped in heaven at God's right hand. Paul saw him standing uh, Uh, saw him on the Damascus Road. Uh, Stephen, when he was being stoned, saw Jesus standing at the right hand of God. What does that tell us? There's a message there. It tells us that Jesus is the fully divine Son of God that the Old Testament prophecy predicted. Daniel 7, 13. The one who came to the Ancient of Days is Jesus Christ. There's a message in Jesus' actions. Jesus says, I came to testify to the truth. Jesus said this, you shall know the truth and the truth shall set you free. There's no greater truth than the death, burial, resurrection, ascension of Jesus Christ. Why? Because in that message, we find about salvation. And everything can be changed in us from the inside out. That's what Jesus came to do. And that truth, when you understand that truth, it changes everything else you look at. My dad has shared with me, um, he said, before I came to faith, he said, I was very liberal. I believe everything was okay. Hey, hey, that's their own business. Let them do what they want to do. Live and let live. He said, when I became a Christian, all of a sudden, I looked at things differently. How did that happen? God changed his heart. Now he saw things from God's perspective. He got acquainted with the one who is truth. So he began to understand the truth. And it changed everything in the way that he viewed things. And by the way, it changed his home life as well. He and my mother were on the brink of divorce. My mother was waiting for the taxi cab on the front steps. He said it took every ounce of willpower that I had to say please stay and she, she, she ran over to him and she said she, weeping ran over to him and said I was looking for any sign that you still love me they began to read the little our daily breads at the, his dad said we're going we're to try to 
began to do things differently in our home and he began to open up our daily bread and read that he said he couldn't get through it without crying he went to church music director had invited him to church went to church gave his heart to Christ and God utterly changed him he's not perfect but God changed him and I want to tell you something if you ask my mother was there a change she'll tell you there was a big change Jesus changed my husband's heart that's the power of the cross listen it goes to every aspect of our lives your home life your personal life your work life everything can be touched by the power of Jesus he changes everything Jesus' purpose was to testify to the truth. You shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. Understanding Jesus' heart, what do you need to understand? Understand his willingness to die for you. Understand his innocence, his perfect, spotless character, and understand his purpose to testify to the truth. What's sad is you read the close of this chapter, Pilate is trying to get Jesus released. And he says, shall I release Jesus to you according to the Passover custom? No. We want Barabbas. Can I tell you, Jesus will not force himself on you. He won't do it. He's a gentleman. He'll let you choose the life you want to live. He'll let you choose to reject him. But you'll miss Oh, what you'll miss. Surrender to him. Put your trust in him. He can change you personally. He can change your family. He can give you a hope and a future and eternity when you die in heaven. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word and uh, for revealing your son's heart to us in your word. Thank you for Jesus' willingness to go to the cross for us to pay the price. Thank you for his perfect, spotless, holy character in which there's no difference.